Today is a Christian Worldview Speaker Series event preview with Alex Newman as we discuss how the push for global governance utilizes environmentalism, public education, economics, war, and more. That's what we'll discuss today on the Christian Worldview radio program, where the mission is to sharpen the biblical worldview of Christians and to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. I'm David Wheaton, the host. The Christian Worldview is a listener-supported radio ministry. You can connect with us by visiting our website, thechristianworldview.org, calling our toll-free number, one 646 2233 or by writing to Box 401, Excelsior, Minnesota, 55331. The final book of God's Word, Revelation, clearly describes that the world in the future before Christ's return will be largely globalized and led by a leader called the Antichrist or Beast. Revelation 13 says, as Antichrist appears on the scene, quote, the dragon, Satan, gave him, the beast, his power in his throne in great authority. I saw one of his heads as if it had been slain, and his fatal wound was healed, and the whole earth was amazed and followed after the beast. It was early on in human history at Babel where man disobeyed God's command to scatter across the earth and instead proudly determined, quote, come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach into heaven and let us make for ourselves a name. Otherwise, we'll be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. That's from Genesis chapter 11. Well, God foiled that man-centered plan at that time, but that hasn't stopped man from relentlessly working toward creating not just a city and tower, but an entire world that operates out from under the authority of God. This, of course, is impossible, but it doesn't keep unregenerate man from trying. The push for globalism and global governance is out in the open today, with organizations like the World Economic Forum, United Nations, and many more. And they utilize things like so-called climate change or the educational system, economic and monetary policy, or health care. Corporations are in on it, and even war to coerce the world to globalize. Our guest today, Alex Newman, who is an international journalist and CEO of Liberty Sentinel Media, joins us today to talk about the push for global governance as we preview the upcoming Christian Worldview Speaker Series event on Friday, April 12th at Beacon of Hope Church in St. Paul, Minnesota, where Alex is going to speak and take questions on this topic, how the push for global governance utilizes environmentalism, public education, economics, war, and more. And just one quick announcement before we get to the interview, I'm going to be guest preaching at Faith Bible Church in White Bear Lake, Minnesota, this coming Sunday, February 18th at 10 a.m. Topic, Overcoming Like Daniel in an Oppositional World. You can find out details at thechristianworldview.org or call us toll-free 1-888-646-2233 if you'd like to come. We'd love to see you there. Okay, now to the interview with Alex Newman. Alex, great to have you on the program today. Let's start out with just an overarching 
question of the meta narrative going on in the world. What is the end game that you're seeing in your journalistic work? The end game goal of the power brokers, the elite in the world, and then what is standing in their way? Well, that is an absolutely huge question, and I think it's one that everybody ought to be asking themselves because a lot of these things that seem unrelated are actually very closely related, and they're all leading us invariably toward the same end, as our founding father said in the Declaration of Independence. And when you put all these pieces together, a clear picture emerges, David. And I think very few people actually see the big picture because people kind of focus in. We live in an age of specialization. People get PhDs and, you know, a subset of a subset of a subject. And so all the different dots out there don't get connected often enough. But the end goal, I believe, is to create a one world economic and political system that is based on radically different principles than those that have underpinned our society and Christian societies for many, many centuries, if not millennia. And these principles, I think, are very familiar to people who live in the United States, to people who listen to your show. Thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not steal, right? I mean, just basic common sense principles that we all kind of take for granted. Human life has value. God created people equally. I mean, these are just biblical principles that then were translated by Christians into political documents like our Declaration of Independence and our Constitution uh, so that they could be applied in practical governing matters. The new system that they are building, I think, has much more in common with, for example, the system that exists in communist China than it does with the systems that have existed throughout the Western world, especially in the United States and the freer uh, Protestant countries of Northwestern Europe. And so it's a very different system. And I wouldn't call it necessarily fascism or communism. I know people love to have labels to attach to things. I think there are elements that come from the communist idea. There are elements that come from the fascist idea. And there's another term that hasn't been used a whole lot in public, at least over the last, say, 50 or 60 years, although it was a much more well-known term 100 years ago, and that is the term technocracy. And this is a system whereby you dispense with self-government, you dispense with the pretense of elections and the will of the people, and you structure society in such a way that important decisions about government, about the economy, about society, even about culture and things are made under various pretexts. Now, 100 years ago, the technocrats, they were really centered at Columbia University, they were obsessed with this principle of efficiency. So we heard that a lot. Everything needs to be more efficient. Capitalism is not efficient because resources are wasted that should be going to things that the planners think are not a good use of resources. Well, under the technocratic system that they're building today, we don't hear the word efficiency as much. We hear other buzzwords like sustainability and equity and things like this. But the principle is the same. The individual will lose his or her agency, his or her ability to make decisions about his or her own life, his or her own family. And those decisions will then be made by scientists, experts, uh, bureaucrats who supposedly have more training in how things ought to run. So I think, you know, if you had to summarize it from at least a physical material perspective, that's what's going on. Now, once you get into the metaphysical realm, I think it's much more clear from the biblical perspective, we're dealing with a diabolical agenda. I mean, to just speak very bluntly, this is satanic. This is a war on God. This is a war on God's people. This is a war on the truths that God has revealed to us, not just through his word, but also through creation. And I think for Christians, that is important to not lose sight of. This isn't just a you know political or economic fight that we find ourselves in. This is quite literally a spiritual battle. 
Now, just one quick follow-up on your answer there about what the power brokers and the elite are trying to do to this world to globalize it, global governance. But are China and Russia on board with this? They're more nationalistic powers, China being more communistic and Russia being just authoritarian dictatorship, I would say. Are they on board with this move? I believe they are, David. And I don't believe that the common man is supposed to understand that. I think what's happening here is almost an artificial division. One of the things that the global elitists, uh, one of the tactics that they like to use, it's known as the dialectical process. I mean, this has its roots in uh, George Hegel and Hegelian philosophy. And of course, Marx was a, a major proponent of some of these ideas as well. But what you do is you can't just have a thing. You have to have a conflict between things to make progress. So they see this constant process of evolution resulting from conflict. And so when we're talking about geopolitics here, if they want to make progress toward their agenda, you've got to have conflict to act as a catalyst, if you will, to bring these changes about. And so you have now two essentially major blocks in the world. You have the Russia-China block, and, and there are many organizations that cover this block. You have the G77 plus China, which includes you know, about 134 governments at last count. You have the BRICS alliance, which uh, Brazil, Russia, China, India, South Africa, of course, they now have expanded and started including other members as well. You have all these regional governments that are being built. Putin, for example, is building the Eurasian Union, Russia, China, Iran, and others are involved in the Shanghai Cooperation Organization. You've got the Association of Southeast Asian Nations. You've got the uh, South Asian regional government that's being formed with India at the core. So you have all these regional governments and there's all these power players. But if you had to divide the world largely into two blocks, you'd have Roughly speaking, with you know maybe some oddities there, kind of the NATO bloc, the United States, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, maybe Japan, South Korea maybe would be included in there, the Western European powers. And then you have the rest, right? The non-aligned movement, the African governments, most of the Latin American governments, et cetera. And that's kind of how this is shaping up. Now, it looks a little bit different than it does in the Cold War, right? Today we see the West has become absolutely degenerate in, in the truest sense of the term, waging war on families, castrating children. I mean, things that would have been unthinkable even a generation ago. And then you have people like Putin supposedly standing against this. But I think when it boils down to the interests at work here and, and actually the actions more than the statements, what you find is that the Russians and the Chinese, the ruling class there, are very much in favor of this agenda. And, and I don't say that out of speculation. It's, it's not a hypothesis. If you read the documents that they put out, uh, every time the BRICS get together, I like to read their final declaration. And their final declaration actually has remarkable similarities with what you hear Western leaders talk about. They talk about strengthening the United Nations. They talk about climate change. They talk about sustainable development. They talk about even a world currency. Right? Uh, the G77 plus China met in uh, Bolivia about a decade ago and put out their final statement declaration. It was called Toward a New World Order to Live Well. And they called for a global currency. They called for turning the UN General Assembly into a parliament of humanity, an emblem of global sovereignty, they called it. So 
I think if you look past the rhetoric and you look past the narrative that the media is spinning, we do have all of these powers working toward the same overall objective, even though there appears to be belligerence on the surface. And you see this in other ways, too. And I'll give you a very clear, concrete example that a lot of national security experts and geopolitical experts, they just don't know what to make of it. But Vladimir Putin and Henry Kissinger, who recently uh, passed on, they were very, very close to each other. I mean, when Putin would come to the United States, he would go eat at private dinners at Kissinger's house. When Kissinger would go to Russia, they would have you know parades for him and they'd do a, a military honor for him. They would give him all these awards. Putin actually talks about this in his autobiography, but his very, very close relationship with Henry Kissinger. And that doesn't make sense using the conventional analysis. So it, when you really get into this, and I, I know you have a lot of other issues you want to talk about, David, so I won't go too deep down the rabbit hole. But when you really look back in the past, what you find is that a lot of these powers that are supposedly standing against the Western-led world order were actually put in place by and built up by the same globalist elites that we have in the Western world today. A very important book on the Bolshevik Revolution was Wall Street and the Bolshevik Revolution by uh, an incredible historian at Stanford University, Anthony Sutton. What he proved using primary source documents from the U.S. State Department and from the companies themselves was that major American banks, especially the big Wall Street banks, actually financed Vladimir Lenin and Leon Trotsky in their effort to overthrow the Russian czar, enslave Russia, and ultimately the whole Soviet bloc under communist terrorism. If you look at the rise of the communists in China, again, there were very powerful forces within the U.S. government and within major American industries and major powerful organizations like the Council on Foreign Relations that brought Chairman Mao to power and then steadily built up the communist Chinese dictatorship to the point now where it is the second largest economy in the world, probably the second most powerful military in the world. So these things are not happening by accident. And when the Bible says, for example, in 1 John chapter 5, that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one, I think that very much includes Beijing and Moscow and all the rest of it, regardless of what Putin may be saying on TV. Alex Newman with us today. So to summarize, Alex, it may seem like there's a lot of oppositional parties in the world, but all of them, maybe not together, but they're all trying to get back to Babel, so to speak, in this humanistic ideal of global governance. Now, I'm sure you watched, Alex, the interview that Tucker Carlson, former host at Fox News, now on his own, really does his own network, so to speak, mostly through X or Twitter. Uh, he did an interview with Vladimir Putin, the president of Russia, and Tucker asked Vladimir Putin, a key question. Why did you attack Ukraine? And Putin went into literally a 30-minute history of Russia and Ukraine and the fact that they were really, they were kind of one people and so forth. He went on and on about that. Putin said that he attacked Ukraine because there was a constant encroachment of NATO to include Ukraine as part of NATO by the U.S., agitating starting a coup, I think in 2008 or 2014, that eventually they just said, we're not going to have U.S. military presence and everything else in Ukraine right on our border. What are your thoughts as to Putin's explanation as to why he attacked Ukraine? Well, I think on a superficial level, that makes sense. If you were the leader of Russia and you had Western powers acting in a manner that appears hostile to your country, to your government, um, then you, of course, would not want their military alliance encroaching right up to the border. One of the other interesting things that Putin revealed in the interview with Tucker Carlson was that he had actually talked to Bill Clinton about the possibility of Russia joining NATO. <laughs> so that really throws a monkey wrench into the standard analysis of things. But to really understand what's happening 
dealing with Ukraine and Russia. I think we need to go back to what I was just saying in the previous answer. There's a narrative that is being offered to the public, and it's coming from world leaders. It's coming from powerful media outlets and different populations receive different narratives. And so I don't suspect probably that Putin is going into a smoky room with Biden and coming up with some sort of master conspiracy. But when you understand what the Bible teaches, in Ephesians 6 is, of course, the clearest explanation of this spiritual battle that is raging, right, it, where we are not wrestling against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. There are these supernatural beings that play a major role in government, in the destiny of nations, in the destiny of peoples. And I think there is a lot more going on behind the scenes. And so at a superficial level, you listen to Putin and you say, wow, that makes sense. I wouldn't want NATO on my borders either. But there's so much more that, of course, Putin did not reveal that I think is important for people to have if they want to truly understand the situation here. One of the most important pieces of the puzzle that I always go back to that unfortunately most modern geopolitical analysts don't take into consideration are the revelations of a man I consider to be one of the most important Soviet defectors of all time. His name was Anatoly Golitschin. He was a senior official in KGB's Department D, and he defected to the United States via Finland, and he revealed to U.S. intelligence and to U.S. law enforcement that the KGB, even back in the 1960s, was working on several long-range disinformation plans, including this fraudulent collapse, as he described it, of communism. Now, he eventually published this all as a series of books. The, the big ones were uh, The Perestroika Deception and New Lies for Old. And he kind of laid this all out and he made a series of predictions, uh, over 200 very, very specific predictions. He named names. He explained what would happen. He told us the Berlin Wall was going to come down. And all along, he said the communists would remain in power. And of course, when you look at Russia today, People look at Putin and the image that he is projecting, and unfortunately the image that the American media is helping him to project is this image of a Christian, of a nationalist, of a man who is interested in the best interest of Russia. But he is, of course, a creature of the KGB. He was actually the head of the FSB, which was the successor agency for the KGB. And what you saw in Russia after the alleged collapse of the Soviet Union was exactly what Anatoly Golitschin said was going to happen. You know, after the Nazi regime fell, we had the uh, Nuremberg trials. We put them on trial and a lot of them were executed for war crimes and for operating concentration camps and things like this. What happened when the Soviet regime fell? Well, we should have had trials. I mean, talk about mass murder, tens of millions of innocent people slaughtered unfathomable amounts of people tortured to death, worked to death uh, in the gulags of Siberia, and yet nobody was punished for this. How could that be? Instead, they rebranded themselves as businessmen, you know, oligarchs, right? And they bought up state assets for pennies on the dollar. Uh, they became new political parties. They started calling themselves Democratic Socialists and United Russia Party and things like this. But it was the same exact people who were running the system before. So I think when you understand all of that background, and it helps put the Ukraine-Russia conflict in a new light. And I think I'll add one more critical piece to this puzzle. I, I know these are not simple answers. I know people prefer sound bites. You can't explain these things in short sound bites, unfortunately. But the globalist elitists, if you will, have understood that war is an incredibly useful mechanism from their perspective for accelerating their plans. Okay, Alex is going to tell us how war is a very useful tool to accelerate global plans, but we need to take a short break. 
But just a reminder, Alex is going to be our featured speaker at the upcoming Christian Worldview Speaker Series event on Friday, April 12th at Beacon of Hope Church in St. Paul, Minnesota. There's limited seating, so you need to register in advance. Just go to our website or give us a call. There's no set admission price. It's a donation of any amount to the ministry. There's a meet and greet at 6 p.m. Alex speaks at 7 p.m., followed by Q&A. We'd love to see you there. Short break and back with more of Alex Newman. I'm David Wheaton, and you are listening to The Christian Worldview. David Wheaton here, host of The Christian Worldview, to tell you about the Overcomer course for young adults held June 21st and 22nd at beautiful Stonehouse Farm in Jordan, Minnesota. Age 18 to 25 is a highly transitional time. The convictions developed and the decisions made during this crucial stage sets one's course for years to come. In eight sessions over two days, addressing life's most important issues such as God and the gospel, right thinking and living, relationships and marriage, vocation, the local church, and more, the Overcomer course is designed to help young adults gain clarity and conviction on God's plan and their purpose in it. There will be plenty of time for interaction and discussion as well. You can find out more and register by calling one 646 2233 or by visiting thechristianworldview.org. What is the Christian Worldview radio program really about? Fundamentally, it's about impacting people, families, churches, with the life and eternity-changing truth of God's Word. We know the gospel of Jesus Christ is the only message that saves us from God's wrath, by God's grace, for God's glory. And we know the Bible is the inspired word of God, providing the only way to think and live to the glory of God. We are a nonprofit listener-supported ministry. If you would like to help us impact listeners with the biblical worldview and the gospel, consider becoming a Christian worldview partner who regularly give a specified amount to the ministry. As a thank you, Christian Worldview Partners automatically receive many of the resources featured on the program throughout the year. To become a Christian Worldview Partner, call us toll-free 1-888-646-2233 or visit thechristianworldview.org. Welcome back to The Christian Worldview. I'm David Wheaton. Be sure to visit our website, thechristianworldview.org, where you can subscribe to our free weekly email and annual print letter, order resources for adults and children, and support the ministry. Our topic today is about globalism and global governance, and Alex Newman, CEO of Liberty Sentinel Media and an international journalist, is our guest. Before the break, Alex was talking about how war is a great accelerant to global governance. The globalist elitists, if you will, have understood that war is an incredibly useful mechanism from their perspective for accelerating their plans. And again, this is not speculation on my part. They have written this down in documents that I have in my possession. Back in the early 1960s, a very, very powerful American, uh, Lincoln Bloomfield, he had uh, been a senior official within U.S. intelligence. Uh, He had worked in senior capacities in the U.S. State Department. He had been in academia. And he was commissioned by the U.S. State Department, the Institute for Defense Analysis, to produce a report. And the name of the report kind of gave the game away. It was called 
called a world effectively controlled by the United Nations. And what he argues in this report is they start off with the quote unquote problem of how do we move from this system of world order that we have where kind of nation states uh, are pretty much sovereign, they can make their own decisions about what happens in their borders and so on, toward a world effectively controlled by the United Nations. And the pretext was we want world peace and these kinds of things. So we know what the Bible says about when they ask for peace and safety, what will come upon them. But the idea was we need to erode and eventually eliminate national sovereignty and move toward a one world system controlled by the United Nations. And he argues, he concludes in this report that the fastest and most effective way to move us toward this one world system and to undermine the sovereignty of nations is to use war crises and the threat of war. And so I think when you see it in that context, what's happening in Russia, Ukraine makes perfect sense. What have been the effects of this war? Well, Ukraine is now being sucked into the European Union, a sovereignty crushing supranational government. Putin is using this as a pretext to further accelerate the creation of the Eurasian Union, another sovereignty destroying exercise. They managed to get the Swedes to join NATO, right? The Swedes have not wanted to join any of these military alliances. They've sat out the last two world wars. They are very proud of their neutrality. Well, with Russia invading Ukraine, now the Swedes and the Finns and even the Swiss have started talking about the possibility of joining NATO. Of course, the European Union is using this as a pretext to expand and deepen its own military force. They really want to have a true European army as opposed to different national armies that work together. We see, of course, NATO taking on incredible new prominence. And so what is the effect then of this war? Well, they accelerate the food crisis. They scare people half to death so that they're willing to give up their national sovereignty for the illusion of security. They destroy a whole bunch of stuff and make a lot of money for very wealthy individuals. I mean, there are so many power brokers in Congress whose children have very, very strong vested business interests in Ukraine. So, uh, you know, I, I think that's a long way of saying, David, that things are much more complicated than they seem. And uh, unfortunately, the American media has done a terrible job of giving us the context and the information that we need to be able to make sensible conclusions about what's happening in the world. Our guest today is Alex Newman, a journalist and the CEO of Liberty Sentinel Media. LibertySentinel.org is their website. We also have them linked at our website, thechristianrealview.org. You can find out more about Alex speaking at our upcoming speaker series event on Friday, April 12th. This will be a great event. He's going to be speaking in terms of what he's been talking about, the push for global governance. Alex, just one more question about the war in Ukraine, because war is a very effective, if not the most effective, means of bringing global governance around the move toward globalism. Mitt Romney recently, one of our U.S. senators, uh, said this. The vote we will soon take to provide military weapons for Ukraine is the most important vote we will ever take as United States senators. All right, that's a pretty big statement. What interest does the U.S. have in giving hundreds of billions of U.S. taxpayer dollars when we're $33, $34 trillion in debt already? I mean, we're trying to protect Ukraine's borders from Russia coming in there, and yet we seem to have no interest in protecting our own borders where millions of illegal immigrants have come into our own country. You hear about the money laundering taking place, the corruption of the aid coming over, whose hands it gets into. You hear about U.S.-controlled chemical weapons factories in Ukraine. We're told relentlessly that if the U.S. doesn't stop Russia and Ukraine, they will invade other countries in Europe, and then we'll have to step in the gap there. 
not that he's trustworthy, but Putin said he has no interest in other countries in Europe. So what is the key interest of the U.S. in opposing Russia in the war in Ukraine? Well, I think the reason that so many very powerful people are so obsessed with the war in Ukraine and perpetuating it is precisely because of what we just went over in the last brief segment that we had from their perspective, the desirability of war as a catalyst for advancing the globalist cause. I believe that these very powerful individuals and the the powers and principalities behind them want to see a third world war. And whether they get that from Russia, Ukraine, causing kind of an East versus West conflict, whether they get that from Taiwan, the the free Chinese versus the communist Chinese, whether they get that through Israel versus uh, the Arabs, I don't think they care all that much. The main purpose, the main goal for them is to have a massive global conflagration. Now, everybody who is supporting this doesn't necessarily necessarily see the big picture. You have the weapons contractors that see dollar signs. They want to boost their share prices. They want to get a bigger bonus this year. They want to sell more weapons to the belligerent parties, right? So there are lots of other lesser interests that don't necessarily understand the big picture. But these evildoers are masters of setting up a system of incentives whereby they can get a big enough coalition to support their agenda. And so I think World War II gives us a really good illustration of why this is so important for them, right? They tried after World War I to set up the architecture of what they called global governance. They set up the League of Nations and other institutions. Now, the U.S. Senate overwhelmingly (laughs) declined to participate in this. And so they went back to the drawing board, and then World War II came along. Well, World War II and really the aftermath of World War II, the terrible, terrible destruction, the tens of millions of people who died in that horrific conflict, that paved the way directly. And there's no dispute about this for the creation of basically all of the institutions of global governance that we can think of today. The United Nations was born in the aftermath of World War II, the IMF the World Bank, the nucleus of what eventually became the European Union, right? At the time, it was called the European Coal and Steel Community, but that was expanded and built out and and gradually grabbed new powers to the point where it eventually became a super state that now rules over 27 formerly sovereign, formerly independent nations of Europe. So I think from their perspective, if they can turn this into a very serious global conflagration, it would pave the way for finally further strengthening the UN to the point where countries and governments could be persuaded to hand over their military power. And and this has been part of the UN agenda for a very long time. They want to centralize control over all the militaries of the world. That's not to say that every national government in the world would be disarmed, but they'd only be allowed to keep such weapons as they would need to basically maintain internal stability and, and suppress any problems that they might have within their own borders. But at the international level, they would quote unquote, pursue global peace. So I believe at the highest levels, that is really what they're angling for. Uh, Of course, there are, again, the major business interests. You know, there's a lot of people with financial ties there. I've done a lot of work on this. The Biden administration is directly connected to this. To me, it's unbelievable that the media has not talked about this. But Hunter Biden was on the board of Burisma, the major Ukrainian energy company, the gas company, being paid $50,000 a month to sit on this board. And of course, the owner of Burisma, a major Ukrainian oligarch, incidentally, with uh, strong ties to the Kremlin, actually is the one who built Vladimir Zelensky out of nothing, right? He, he owned a TV network. They made Zelensky this superstar fake president on a TV show. They basically paved the way for Zelensky to come into power. And so you have these very, very obvious, and nobody disputes these very obvious conflicts of interest going on here, and yet nobody's talking about them. So 
the official narrative that some of the U.S. congressmen are putting out is that if we don't stop Russia and Ukraine, then we're going to be uh, having to fight them, send our sons and daughters to fight them you know, next year. I don't think that's really what they're concerned about. I think there are much bigger, more subversive agendas at work here. And you know, none of this should be interpreted as a defense of Putin or what he's doing or, or any of those things. Uh, I think the reality is there are very powerful vested interests that want war for a variety of reasons. And I would argue that at the highest levels, the most important reason is the possibility of using a war to eventually undermine national sovereignty um, and spark a whole range of other crises that would produce the type of policies that they want to see. Alex Newman, a journalist and CEO of Liberty Sentinel Media, is our guest today talking about the push for global governance. Okay, let's go from the war in Ukraine and how useful that is to the push for global governance to a couple of big organizations. Uh, You've mentioned one already, the U.N., but let's talk about some of the most important things that you saw come out of the recent World Economic Forum meeting in Davos. And maybe part two of the question is talk about some of the most important things that came out of the most recent COP28, which is the United Nations Climate Change Conference, which took place in Dubai late last year. These are both such huge topics. Each one, you could write a book about them. So I'll start with the COP28 because I was there. I went to the United Arab Emirates to cover this as a journalist, was in Dubai and also in Abu Dhabi. And I saw a number of things. I'll just highlight a few of the key takeaways, and then we can drill down a little bit deeper later if you want. But what for me really jumped out, and I did a cover story on this in the New American Magazine and then followed up with a piece in the Epic Times on this, was the whole narrative was about phasing out fossil fuels. To the extent that this was covered in the United States, that was the big takeaway for the media. And that was the big takeaway from the press releases that the UN was putting out there. For the first time in history, after 28 years of these climate summits, the world had agreed that we were going to phase out fossil fuels. No more coal, no more gas, no more oil. Certainly not tomorrow, but that was the objective. That was what we were going to be working toward. And all of the national governments of the world had joined forces and had agreed by consensus that this was the direction we were going to move. And that's a cute story, but it bears very little resemblance to reality. Now, it's true that they did enshrine that in their final declaration. After each one of these, they come up with a final declaration where every government signs on and says, we agree, and this is what we're going to do, et cetera. And so they did include in there that they were going to be phasing out fossil fuels. But most of the governments of the world are not planning to phase out fossil fuels. And I can say that absolutely unequivocally. Uh, The communist Chinese are bringing two coal-fired power plants online on average every single week, David, Mm. Uh, every single week, two new coal-fired power plants. And their carbon dioxide emissions are already 300% more than the United States of America. And they are rapidly, rapidly increasing while CO2 emissions in the United States are declining very rapidly. Quick caveat, I don't begrudge anybody their CO2 emissions. CO2 is the gas of life. We exhale it when we breathe. I have no problem with CO2 emissions. In fact, I've interviewed Donald Trump's climate advisor several times, uh, William Happer, a physics professor at Princeton University, and he has told me on camera, the world is starving for CO2. We should encourage people to produce more CO2. Plants, he said, were designed to live in an environment with four to five times as much CO2 as we currently have in the atmosphere. So don't worry about your CO2 emissions. So with all that out of the way, I don't begrudge the Chinese or anybody else their CO2 emissions. I see no problem with that. But the hypothesis that is justifying this whole climate process is that CO2 is a pollution. Well, if CO2 is a pollution, 
How in the world does it make sense to shut down power plants in the United States? How does it make sense to shut down the factories and the industries that depend on those power plants in the United States while rebuilding them in communist China in a way that's going to emit radically more CO2 per unit of economic production? Well, it makes absolutely no sense if you truly believe that CO2 is a pollution. In fact, it's the dumbest thing that you could possibly do. So what became very, very obvious to me at this climate summit was that this was a fraud. They're talking about phasing out the Western world, what used to be known as Christendom, not oil. Uh, and this was so clear at the conference. In fact, the BBC even got a hold of documents that somebody leaked to them showing how many delegations were actually making oil and gas deals at this summit, including the COP president, the United Arab Emirates delegation. We've got leaked documents from them. They were making oil and gas deals with the communist Chinese worth billions of dollars. They were making deals to explore for fossil fuels off the coast of Mozambique. They were making deals to do fossil fuel development in Colombia. Meanwhile, the European powers were talking about how rapidly they were going to be dismantling their energy systems. Uh, the Biden administration pledged to end uh, methane emissions, which, according to Stephen Moore, uh, chief economist at FreedomWorks, that would take 60 percent of our electrical power generating capacity offline. So if you're truly concerned about CO2 as an alleged pollutant, the worst thing in the world you could do is what they're doing. Shut down power plants, very clean power plants in the United States and rebuild them in China, Russia, South Africa, Brazil, etc. But that's exactly what they're doing. So that's one of the big takeaways. This is actually contributing toward this move toward a multipolar world order. They're undermining the energy and the economy of the Western world, what used to be known as Christendom, and they're transferring all of that capacity, all of that productive capacity to the BRICS nations and the other bloc, if you will. Of course, when you undermine the economies of the West, by extension, you're going to be undermining the militaries of the West, etc. So they're equalizing the playing field, if you will, on the move toward what they describe as a multipolar world order. There was a lot of other big takeaways. Uh, I'll try to hit them quick because I know we're on a time clock here. But um, one of the big ones was the religion component of it. So I, I was in Egypt the previous year for the COP27 that was held on the Sinai Peninsula, and they had never been this blatant before. I mean, in 2010, I believe it was, in Cancun, they opened the conference with a prayer to Ixchel, the Mayan goddess. Uh, the head of the conference said it was the Mayan goddess of creativity and tapestries. Uh, I pulled out my computer, looked it up. It was actually the goddess of cannibalism, war, and human sacrifice. Mm. But be that as it may, that, that was kind of obvious. But in Egypt, on the Sinai Peninsula, they actually organized, in partnership with the UN, a climate repentance ceremony at the top of Mount Sinai, where they repented to whatever god they worship. They had a lot of pagans, uh, Hindus. They had a guy from the Amazon with a, a headdress. They said he was a representative of uh, Amazonian spirituality. They had alleged Jews, alleged Muslims, alleged Christians, leaders from all these different world religions participating in this climate repentance ceremony. And then even more blasphemous, they whipped out two tablets painted green and said, uh, this is the new Ten Commandments. I was actually able to interview four of the key organizers of this thing after the event happened down at the U.N. summit, you know, about an hour and a half away from Mount Sinai. And they told me on camera, David, that they were also working on a third covenant, right? God gave us the old covenant. God gave us the new covenant. Mm -hmm. Well, the U.N. and friends, they're going to give us the third covenant. And right before the climate conference had started, the UN put out a report calling for the development of a new system of ethics and morality. They said the old system of ethics and morality was no longer adequate. It had evolved over thousands of years and times have changed. They're talking about, of course, the, you know, the Mosaic law, 
the Ten Commandments, what God has revealed to us in the Scripture, and they want to replace it with these new laws, uh, very much including the idea that CO2 emissions are sinful, that your carbon footprint, you need to repent for it. Totally crazy. So at the event that they had in uh, Dubai, the COP28, for the first time ever, they had a faith pavilion, and they strategically planted it right, as they put it, at the heart of the conference. Now, why did they put the faith pavilion at the heart of this massive global gathering? Well, they explained why. Because faith communities and the religions of the world, they said, are going to be the critical players in bringing this to pass. So uh, the Pope was actually supposed to open up the conference. He got sick, and so he had to send his deputy, uh, the Secretary of State for the Vatican, one of the cardinals. But he just read the Pope's speech. And the same theme again, your environmental impact is an offense against God, is the term that the Pope used. Now, you know, we who read the Bible, we know that this world is going to go up in flames. It's going to burn, and uh, it's not going to be because you're driving an SUV or because you, know, you right. chop down a tree to warm your home. But uh, this is the narrative that they're spinning now. And they claim to have, in the words of the lady who leads Religions for Peace, she said, you think of it like the UN for religions. She says, all the religions of the world are a part of this, which is interesting. Those are her words, almost word for word. I've got her on camera saying it. So there is a religious component to this. There is a government component to this. And of course, there's the business component to this, all of them marching in lockstep. And I mentioned technocracy at the beginning of the program how decisions will be made under the guise of bringing about some goal or value that the technocrats have laid out. Well, in their view, CO2 emissions are bad. Everybody needs a carbon budget. They need to live in their carbon footprint. And the entire global economy needs to be restructured with this in mind. So each person will be allowed to emit X amount of CO2 per month. And if they want to emit more than that, they'll have to pay a fee probably to a company owned by these people themselves, like Al Gore or whatever, to be able to emit that CO2. All right. Alex Newman is a wealth of information and insight, as you can tell, and he's going to be speaking at our upcoming Christian Worldview Speakers Series event. You can hear all the details in this upcoming break. I'm David Wheaton, and you are listening to the Christian Worldview Radio Program. The heart of God-rejecting man yearns to get back to Babel, creating a world where man rules apart from God. Evidence for this is all around us, and Revelation says this is where the world will end up. On Friday, April 12th, Christian journalist Alex Newman will join us for a Christian Worldview Speaker Series event at Beacon of Hope Church in St. Paul, Minnesota, to speak on the topic of how the push for global governance utilizes environmentalism, the educational system, economic policy, and more. You can come for a donation of any amount— but seating is limited, so you need to register in advance at thechristianworldview.org or by calling one 646 2233 Doors open at 6 p.m. Alex Newman speaks at 7 with Q&A to follow. Be informed to think biblically and live accordingly. Hope to see you Friday, April 12th at Beacon of Hope Church in St. Paul, Minnesota. We've largely lost the honor and the nobility and the glory of biblical manhood and so many young men are not trained to be a leader, a protector, and a provider in a Christ-like way. That then creates the actual end product of young men who don't know how to be a man. So we've largely lost the script for what being a biblical man is. That was Owen Strand, author of the excellent book, The War on Men. This is a book for the entire family to read, 
understand, and then pursue what biblical manhood is. The War on Men is hardcover, 256 pages, and retails for $29.99. For a limited time, you can get a copy for a donation of any amount to The Christian Worldview. To order, go to thechristianworldview.org or call toll-free 1-888-646-2233 or write to Box 401, Excelsior, Minnesota, 55331. Welcome back to The Christian Worldview. I'm David Wheaton. Be sure to visit our website, thechristianworldview.org, where you can subscribe to our free weekly email and annual print letter, order resources for adults and children, and support the ministry. Our topic today is global governance and the dynamics that lead to it. And our guest is Alex Newman, the CEO of Liberty Sentinel Media. So Alex, to follow up on that and what took place at the COP28 Uh, meeting in Dubai, how does it relate to what took place in the recent World Economic Forum meeting in Davos, Switzerland? That actually goes perfectly with what the World Economic Forum was doing, David. This year, they actually focused more on what they called disease X, and the main theme of the conference was restoring trust they realize that people don't believe them anymore, right? On on this climate issue, for example, which is a key pretext for everything that they're doing, the latest polling data shows, uh, and I asked uh, all seven U.S. senators who attended the U.N. conference about this, the latest American polling data from the AP NORC Center for Public Affairs Research shows that the vast majority of Americans do not even believe the hypothesis that human emissions of CO2 are causing climate change. In fact, they, they did a very good poll. And, you know, these are not conservatives. These are not right wingers. These are not even Christians. They did a poll. They asked, do you believe in climate change? Most Americans said, yeah, I believe in climate change. If you ask me, I believe in climate change. The climate has always changed, right? God controls the climate and <laughs> it has changed. We have a lot of evidence that it has changed throughout human history and it had nothing to do with your SUV. Then they ask the follow-up question. If you believe in climate change, do you believe that it's caused by human activities? And once you ask that question, the vast majority of Americans reveal that they do not believe this hypothesis. So what was the World Economic Forum's main agenda at their summit this year? Restoring trust. And so they were all fretting about how people don't believe them anymore. People don't trust the science. People don't trust the government. People don't trust the media. How do we rebuild that trust? And they were pretty blatant. Censorship, rigging the algorithms, prosecuting people who put out what they consider to be fake news or disinformation. They can even prosecute you, they say, for malinformation, which is true information that, in their opinion, has some subversive purpose behind Mm. it. And then the other big takeaway from the World Economic Forum was disease X. They spent a lot of time talking about disease X. They said it may be 20 times more deadly than covid It may be. We don't know for sure. And they actually they claim not to know what disease X is. They say it's some unspecified hypothetical future disease. So they're moving very, very rapidly in this direction of using crises and fear, whether it be about global warming or public health or whatever, to build up these institutions of global governance. So empowering the World Health Organization is a critical goal of a lot of what happened at the World Economic Forum, empowering the global climate controllers, the global CO2 regulators, another critical goal both of the UN COP28 and also of the World Economic Forum, again, all leading us toward what we started talking about at the very beginning, David, a one-world political and economic system with very, very tight controls based on principles that are not just incompatible with what the Bible teaches, but that are completely at odds with and opposed to the principles that God has revealed. 
it all fundamentally goes back to that, a fundamental rejection of God and his authority over our lives. Alex Newman is our guest today here on the program. We're talking about the various elements that make up and that are useful for the push for global governance. Alex, there's many other things we could talk about, the 2024 election, uh, the amount of debt. But I want to get to just one more issue as we conclude today, and I'll ask you about these other ones at the event in our follow-up Q&A to your, your message that night. But you've just written a book on education entitled Indoctrinating Our Children to Death. And education is a key component in pushing the world toward this worldview of accepting global governance. And so whether you look in the government schools today, whether it's the critical theory in terms of someone's ethnicity or sexuality or gender, it is just everywhere in schools. This has exploded the last three or four years in the public school system. Depraved sexuality is taught Tell us just a few things of what you're going to speak more about at the Speaker Series event with regards to how useful the educational component of this, the indoctrination component of this, to get people thinking a certain way in the push for global government. Well, very happy to be able to do that, David. And I would argue very simply, education or discipleship is the most important tool in this agenda. And I don't even believe there's a close second. Yeah, the the manipulation that the media perpetrates against us, the deception, the lies, the half-truths that come from the media, that's all very important. But these things would not be effective if the public had not been prepared for being deceived by the government school system. And so what I show in the book is that if you go back to the very beginning, the people who built this system— always intended to turn children away from God, away from their parents, away from biblical principles, away from a biblical worldview, and toward a radically new worldview. The evidence for this is absolutely overwhelming. It is incontrovertible. It is indisputable. We have the primary source documents proving that this was their plan from the very beginning. And today it's gotten to the point, to give you just a little sneak preview of how bad this has gotten, you've got the United Nations now playing a very, very active role in education around the world. They have a whole agency dedicated to this called UNESCO. Some decades ago, they created the World Core Curriculum. It was written by the uh, Assistant Secretary General of the UN, Robert Mueller, who is uh, universally acknowledged and recognized as the father of global education. And I've got the teacher's manual, and in the foreword to the teacher's manual for this World Core curriculum that he says ought to be taught to all the children of the world in all the schools of the world, he says it's based on the teachings of Alice Bailey and the Tibetan teacher Jval Kool, which is something that's very easy for somebody to read over. I encourage people to pause and look into this. And I'll just give you a sneak preview about what that means. Alice Bailey was the founder of the Lucifer Publishing Company. They have since renamed it the Lucius Trust because Lucifer Publishing, I suspect, was just a little bit too <laughs> obvious. And this Tibetan teacher is not a Tibetan or a teacher. In fact, it's not even a human being. This alleged Tibetan teacher was a spiritual entity that Alice Bailey, the founder of the Lucifer Publishing Company, claimed to be communicating with, claimed to be channeling. She and her demons wrote a, a number of books, including Education in the New Age. Again, the father of global education says the World Court curriculum was based on her teachings, so we ought to know what uh, Alice Bailey wrote. So I have a book that she wrote called uh, Education in the New Age, and in this book, 
She says that the goal of all this needs to be the creation of a world federation, another way of saying a world government, turning children into global citizens. And she says eventually bringing about a global brain, a world brain. And she says we're going to get this by fusing Marxism and neo-scholasticism together using the methods of John Dewey, who's almost universally recognized as the founding father of America's public education system. I think in fairness, he deserves to share that blame with a number of others. But this was a guy who loved the Soviet Union. This is a guy who invented his own heretical false religion uh, called humanism. Uh, he co-wrote the Humanist Manifesto that denies the existence of God, uh, denies all of the principles that God has revealed to us. So this is not a good system. And when the Bible talks about discipling your children, when the Bible talks about teaching your children and training your children in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. Satan understands that as well, and his minions understand that as well. You know, Jesus tells us in Luke that the student is not above his teacher, and once he's fully trained, he's going to be like his teacher. So parents, who is discipling your children? And Jesus told us clearly, and I say this all the time, Matthew and Luke, Jesus is quoted as saying, whoever's not with me is against me. So just ask yourself a very simple question. Is the public school system with Christ? If it's not— everything else should become immediately clear to you. Alex, thank you for coming on the program today. We are very much looking forward to seeing you at our Speaker Series event in April. We'll tell listeners how they can attend that. All of God's best and grace to you. Thank you so much, David. I really appreciate it. I'm looking forward to coming to see you guys. God bless you, and uh, thank you for all that you do. All right, the event is Friday, April 12th with Alex Newman at Beacon of Hope Church in St. Paul, Minnesota. Details and registration are at our website or just give us a call. All our contact information is given immediately following today's program. And just another reminder that I will be guest preaching this coming Sunday, February 18th at 10 a.m. at Faith Bible Church in White Bear Lake, Minnesota, on the topic of overcoming like Daniel in an oppositional world. Details at our website, thechristianworldview.org, if you'd like to come or just give us a call. We are completely out of time, but let's remember in this complex world of mankind resisting God that Jesus Christ says, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. Until next time, think biblically, live accordingly, and stand firm. The mission of the Christian worldview is to sharpen the biblical worldview of Christians and to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. We hope today's broadcast encouraged you toward that end. To hear a replay of today's program, order a transcript, or find out what must I do to be saved, go to thechristianworldview.org or call toll-free 1-888-646-2233. The Christian Worldview is a listener-supported nonprofit radio ministry furnished by the Overcomer Foundation. To make a donation, become a Christian Worldview partner, order resources, subscribe to our free newsletter, or contact us, visit thechristianworldview.org, call 1-888-646-2233, or write to Box 401, Excelsior, Minnesota, 55331. That's Box 401, Excelsior, Minnesota, 55331. Thanks for listening to The Christian Worldview.